Welcome back to FinTalk brought to you by Vermic. Here we discuss pressing topics in fintech, regtech, covering regulatory, collateral, and digital across banking and insurance and finance. Vermic has been proud to deliver innovative software solutions in the industry with stability and cost efficiency for our global Rostock clients. With over 20 years of trusted transformation in finance and insurance, we're bringing industry's top expertise to FinTalk. I'm Jared Acta, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Welcome back to FinTalk brought to you by Vemek. I'm Jared Akta, your host. Today's discussion is Pillar 3 reporting. So delighted to have with me Mark Davies from Element 22. Mark's a partner there. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jared. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Mark, are you okay to say a few words about yourself and Element 22? Yes, certainly. So as you mentioned, I'm a partner with Element 22. I'm based out of the UK. And Element 22 is a data and analytics consultancy that actually started its life in New York approximately 10 years ago. And uh, that's still where the majority of, of the consultants are. We provide advisory services for financial institutions, so both on the sell side and on the buy side. And really, our goal is to help those organizations to mature their data and analytics capabilities. So that's the key focus. Thank you, Mark. So ESG, right? It's, uh, it's, <laughs> we were spoken, speaking about it earlier. It's a, it's a hell of a topic. So I want to focus down onto, onto obviously reporting and disclosing. So first question to you, ESG, EBA, and Pillar 3 disclosure reporting. What does it mean and what do firms really need to do now? Yeah, look, at, we were just discussing that ESG is such a broad topic and there are, I think, from, from many people understanding, you know, when the, the, the really deep requirements around ESG data collection and reporting happen, you know, the reality hasn't necessarily hit many individuals and many organizations yet. And EBA's ESG Pillar 3 disclosures is one of the one of the earlier requirements, one of the earlier mandatory requirements that's falling on the banking industry, which is going to involve going out and doing something different, collecting more information, more ESG information. Essentially, what it's trying to do is assess the risks and the sustainable finance strategy of, of those banks. Those risks, the focus is on the physical and the transition risks for those organizations and understanding really the financing transition. So, you know, how those financial services firms, how those banks are financing the transition to a zero carbon economy. There are a couple of key areas within the uh, ESG Pillar 3 disclosures. So the first of those is climate risk. The second is the mitigating actions. And the third is a couple of ratios, which we'll talk in a little bit more detail about shortly. If we talk about the climate risk piece first, that's really about understanding where either the organization has financed companies today that that could become stranded on the balance sheet because of the sectors that they're in. So as an example, if it's lending to fossil fuel industry, starting to understand that, that of course doesn't necessarily mean that they do become stranded assets, but the potential risk in certain sectors is greater than in other areas. So understanding some of those risks around direct investments to sectors, which have a greater risk of becoming stranded on the balance sheet. And then the second aspect of the climate risk is starting to think about some of the geographic risk. That could be related to areas of high water stress and proximity to assets that are being financed. It could be floodplains. It could be areas where there's high fire risk. It could be even things like weather patterns. So, you know, increasing hurricanes 
can be rising sea levels. So, you know, all of a sudden, the the climate risks and the requirement to understand that against the balance sheet starts to introduce quite a lot in terms of additional information that needs to be understood, not just on a one-off basis, but on an ongoing basis. And then if we talk about the second area, which is the mitigating actions, you know, it's understanding what the firms are doing when it comes to things like financing sustainable activities, so financing carbon reduction initiatives and some of those more proactive activities that the organisation is doing. And then the last piece I mentioned was the ratios. And there are four, for pillar three disclosures, there are, there are two important ratios. One is considered to be relatively straightforward in terms of execution, and that's something called the green asset ratio or the GAR, G-A-R. And then the second is the BTAR, the Banking Book Taxonomy Alignment Ratio, which is something that's going to require a little bit more work on behalf of the banks. Both of those are important in slightly different ways. And in all honesty, both of those are important. Understanding what those ratios are is important in the firm setting their own strategy and their own risk appetite. So both of those ratios, once they're understood, become a key input into the firm's ongoing strategy and risk mitigation activities. Thanks, Mark. It's a good place to start, actually. You talked about climate risk, actually. I was um, just trying to make sure my fences weren't falling over today. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah definitely a topical, topical area. Just want to dive into which are the key metrics that firms should look at and how would they disclose them? So, yeah, I'll come back to these two ratios. Ultimately, this is the, this is the key focus in terms of data collection and reporting. So the, the green asset ratio is really focused on on the existing reporting that's being done under a disclosure regime for corporates called NFRD. And large corporates, large listed corporates, already have to report information, uh, which is is a, a key input into the green asset ratio. So the idea, I think, here from the EBA is that the, the GAR could rely on data that is already a mandatory disclosure for the large corporates and for the large exchange-listed companies. That information is already being published under the, in their NFRD disclosures. There is a slight curveball, which is that NFRD is being replaced. So NFRD being the Non-Financial Reporting Directive is being replaced by something called CSRD. So CSRD will actually expand its scope slightly, well, significantly actually, rather than just the largest exchange-listed corporates being in scope for NFRD. Under CSRD, the expectation is that approximately 50,000 corporates across Europe will be will be covered by that based on having more than 500 employees and, and a number of different financial metrics in terms of their, their, their size of the organization. But in short, the green asset ratio depends on data that's being published by those organizations. Now, there are some challenges with that. Those NFRD disclosures are often information that's made available in unstructured documents so that information needs to be collected and digitized and pulled in by the bank and mapped to the right data internally in the organization but it's a relatively light lift btar or btar is a little bit more challenging and that's because it's starting to look beyond just the large corporates it's starting to look across effectively all of the uh, all of the fin- financing activities that are taking place in the financial institution so the scope goes beyond large listed companies it goes into private companies and some of the loans that are happening there and potentially spvs and some of the other legal entity structures that are that are within scope for lending and in the case of btar the expectation is that the 
the processes of onboarding new customers for loans and financing will extend to include collecting information related to to, to some of their, their climate risks. And that information can then be aggregated by the bank effectively across the, the, the full financing book. At the moment, for, for BTAR, there's an acceptance by the EBA that there's, there's a significant challenge because not all of this information is available. It's not being published today, particularly, you know, there's no mandate or expectation on private companies to publish a lot of this data, unlike NFRD, which is a mandatory reporting requirement for large corporates. So asking firms to report on something they've never had to report on before is challenging. And uh, there's an expectation or there's an acceptance by the EBA that this has to be done on a best efforts basis initially. And that's going to mean you know, reaching out to firms and gathering the information where possible. But there is a statement that says you know, there's a requirement on the banks to actually limit the disclosure obligations of those corporates. So it is possible to use estimates in certain situations, but with a number of different caveats around how that can be done. In short, more information needs to be captured on the companies that are being financed and that information is both geographic information but it's to understand their own activities one thing to say about about these two ratios is that they lean heavily on something called the eu taxonomy and if people are interested to understand more on that there's something called the the taxonomy compass which is which is available which is quite a useful tool to understand the, some of the sustainability expectations on different industry sectors. So sector by sector, there there are some guidelines that have been published which indicate what activity and you know, what, what positive activities look like and what do no significant harm activities should look like for different industry sectors. So obviously some sectors are considered to be, from a sustainability perspective, they're going to have a, a higher impact than others. So there are sector by sector guidelines and both Green Asset Ratio and BTAR make reference to this EU taxonomy and the guidelines on how individual sectors should be managed. Thanks, Mark. I think the point you made about that taxonomy compass, I have seen that. That's actually really useful. So, yeah, do do urge people to, to look into that. There's obviously a lot of information there, and it's just it, it is just vast, right? The data requirements are are just are just huge. So, I think if, you know, talking to people, the question we get is, where do they start? It's a good question. So I think you can probably you can probably segment the data requirements into a couple of key areas. So clearly the green asset ratio, I'd say because the deadlines are actually slightly earlier than the, the BTAR ratio, ratio deadlines, the information that's required to satisfy the GAR is probably the first place to begin. So that would include capturing information from NFRD statements for you know for large lending and financing customers. So that would be a logical place to begin. The the next the next piece of the puzzle I would say is then probably to start to think about some of the climate specific information. Having a good understanding of your three sectors is going to be critical because that will drive which aspects of the EU taxonomy compass and therefore the detail around your sustainability activities. So having really good sector information, which you know, most risk functions have a good understanding of SIC codes and NACE codes and NAICS codes, from, which follow the US standards. So making sure that that information is in, a, is in a good state and that the sector data can be trusted is a good place to begin. Also understanding where the assets are for your companies is going to be very important as well. So where your companies are physically located as well as where they're incorporated. So 
locations of operation as well as incorporation addresses will be important to understand the climate risks understanding you know, where where physical premises are where assets are where factories are is going to be important so making sure that your sector data and your geographic data about your companies is up to date and is in a good state is the first piece the second part is then overlaying on that some of the information around climate and geographic information so starting to think about you know do you have access to information on floodplains on temperatures on where fire risk is greatest and do you have information that relates to areas of high water stress and so some of the geolocation information and and that information is available there are a number of different service providers that gather that information and and publish it but it it starts to become an important overlay on it's information essentially that you need to then merge with the locations that you have for the companies that, that sit within your within your lending book that that geographic information and potentially weather patterns as well you know hurricane risks as an example in certain countries or typhoon risks again that could be an important risk to capture so if the first piece is some of the the reference data around sector and geography the second piece is overlaying some of the climate maps on that and specific climate risks and then the the, the final piece will be starting to think about gathering that information from the, the companies that are not in scope for NFRD. So those those private companies, those other you know, mid-size and smaller corporates that are part of your lending book, particularly where they are in sectors that are going to be considered to be higher risk sectors. And that activity is ultimately that's a long process. So starting to think about, you know, do you need to enhance your existing loan origination processes? in order to capture some of that information do you want to use third-party tools and software to help to do that and again there's there's a lot of innovation in this space at the moment which is helping to to make that process easier you could look at the whole esg data set as as a new set of information you know there are overlaps and things like sector and geography but there is a huge amount of data that increasingly will be required by firms for not just for risk, but for some other mandatory disclosure and reporting. We're talking today about the climate aspects, but you know there will be an evolving requirement to understand some of the social and governance factors, you know, pay ratios, board gender diversity, have your organizations got in place anti-slavery policies, not other aspects related to not just to emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, but also starting to think about things like wastewater. So that the, the whole space around ESG will continue to grow as more mandatory reporting requirements come through. And it's probably a good time for firms to start to think about, you know, how are we best going to manage this? Do we consolidate this content? Do we extend our existing master data sources to incorporate this information? Do we do we find another way to do it? Because one thing's for sure that spreadsheets are not going to be the answer. They might be an interim, but Ultimately, this needs to be a holistic answer and organizations need to start to think about how that content can be mastered and, and, and linked back to existing critical content. Thanks, Mark. That's, that's a lot, right? I think, I think we may have been able to cover a lot of information there. So for the person that's kind of sat there, obviously having to do it, so what are key takeaways if we wrap this up? So I would, I would say dig in a little bit further. Actually, the EBA have published a really simple summary two-pager i think it is that, that explains the requirements for pillar three disclosures around esg 
and the expectations around that. And, and actually, it, it's an excellent document in the sense that it, it, it brings it up to a level that anyone can read and understand. So I would begin there, understand those requirements. The, the key deadlines, there's a, there's a date of December 23, so the end of this year, for reporting the, the green asset ratio and the middle of 2024 for the, the BTAR ratio, or the Banking Book Taxonomy Alignment Ratio. The dates are relatively close. I think the, the processes around data collection for smaller corporates will, will take time. And it may be important to start thinking about how that might be managed through the learn origination process or other software solutions. But, you know, those those dates are probably not too far away. So I think it's going to be important to get an understanding of the data requirements and then start the process. You know, partner with your with your data sourcing teams, with your, you know, your ref data functions, because it, invariably some of this information already exists in the organization and will just need to be uplifted and optimized so that it's fit for purpose. But there will, of course, be new information that needs to be brought in as well. Thanks, Mark. That's, uh, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, I, I have been, I've been saying for a while, this ASG is just vast. And I feel like that seems to have narrowed stuff down and, and made it a little more, a lot more manageable. Right? Understanding the, the GAR, the, there's a lot of acronyms, right? The ASG, CSRD, the BTAR. But you're right, there there are tools out there. The, the Taxonomy Compass, the EBA, the two-pager, I've seen that, that's that's really useful. And it, and it kind of, you know, to boil it down into two pages is, is something. So, yeah, appreciate your time, Mark. Thank you so much for taking time out to do this. And thank you to the listeners. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.